So um, this is the direct way for the realization of Nibbana, for the ceasing of suffering and stress, the purification of being. Um, is a mindfulness placed framing, referring to experience in these four ways, these four four aspects. The four aspects <clears throat> skin, body, kaya, um, feeling, vedana, and mind states, and then what are called dhammas, the fourth. And the fourth is really um, in relationship to the other three. It's the kind of crystallizations of of you know what happens is we are as we bring mindfulness to bear on uh, body feeling and mind then the kind of things can come up are things such as ill will or investigation or sense desire or um, joy you know positive and negative we might say they they occur they start to pick form at the as our mindfulness holds or sustains awareness on the other three <clears throat> and they are in a way the fourth is a kind of very crucial and key um, bit because it's telling the essences of whether your relationship the relationship your mind as you with as the awareness is with your body whether there's the dissonance of struggling and resistance or whether something more inquiring and investigating, they in a way begin to indicate where that relationship is dysfunctional or antagonistic or not really there yet, or whether it's really beginning to to settle. To so the what's called these enlightenment factors, of which you know the the, the culminating ones are unification, samadhi. That things are completely settled. There's no differentiations there's no me holding it there's no tugging there's no infatuations there's no contractions it's just steady state and equanimity which is more like the tone of that state is mean the mind is very even it doesn't waver it doesn't go in it doesn't go out it doesn't grab an object it doesn't it's just open and steady state that's the tone you could say of the unification these are it means that then there isn't the differentiations where we there's a sense of me struggling with it or it getting on top of me. That's a differentiation in the subject-object splitting and clashing. And around that, the me sense becomes strong and it often a besieged sense or a struggling sense or an afflicted sense uh, you know, or a needy sense, you know. And that really feels very much like who I am as an identity. And it's come out of, but it's actually an experience coming out of a, of a, an unconscious or a relationship that's uh, distorted with unknowing, with lack of gnosis, lack of deep penetrative insight. That doesn't have to happen, is what the Buddha's saying. <laughs> uh, purification. Now, this, you know, it doesn't mean that there's a real self that gets extinguished. There isn't a real self to be extinguished. Um, this, you know, or a self to be let go of, or an ego to be transcended, or these other kind of simplifications. There's a relationship that needs to be uh, fulfilled. If that relationship is fulfilled, there isn't this creation of a separate self who's, who's struggling with, on top of, controlling, underneath the experience they seem to be having, that separation. You're not separate from an experience. How can you be separate from what you're experiencing? <laughs> and yet that's that's the setup. And you can see in the logic of it, it's something really weird about that, and yet it's also extremely normal. <laughs> because, uh, you know, we... we th- we follow that pattern, and every group, the society, humanity is following the same pattern. So we all 
you know, on the same hymn book, <laughs> singing the same song, it sounds like it's real. Yeah. And this doesn't mean that there can't be functioning, or understanding, or clarity, or humour, but the sense of the person there who's trying to make it work, isn't getting it right, and so forth, that doesn't have to occur. The, the ceasing of that which has arisen, which has been formed, concocted, created, constructed. There's no annihilation of a real being, there's the ceasing to construct a ghost and a puppet who always feels unhappy. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily deeply unhappy, but something's bothering him or her. So the phrase again, uh, independent, not clinging to anything in the world. <clears throat> and yesterday, I think I was t- talking a little bit about as <laughs> fairly easy t- phrase to roll off your tongue, but it depends what we mean by independent. It depends what you mean by clinging. It depends on what you mean by world. Two is easy enough to understand. The rest of the phrases all require a little bit of, <laughs> of working out because we we may think we understand them. <laughs> yeah. uh, what, so the world. And yesterday, looking at the world, the world is the sense fields. And trying to explain how that is constructed. Yeah. So a three-dimensional reality which I am sort of separate from but on the edge of is a constructed thing yeah. particularly evident through the eyes which always place everyone else out there and I'm in here so the play between the eyes and the thinking organ or the mind organ generates this this split and then I'm trying to find my place in the world or change the world or feel overwhelmed by the world so that is the split right there so this world is actually all this the sixth sense fields which means the external sense space bases eye ear nose tongue body and the internal one which is the the mind and of course it depends what you mean by mind um, I call it I'll say here now mind organ Mano, Mano uh, is distinct from Chitta, which is more like awareness. So there are two words for mind, Mano and Chitta. Mano means the operating, organizing, doing structures and organizing of that. And the Chitta is more like the stuff, the mentality. Sometimes it's called mentality or awareness. Just the that property of awareness something knows what's knows it things are happening when it's clear about that there's a there's a basic receptivity that resonates and is affected by experience sometimes people use the word heart but uh, it's not just an emotional faculty though it's emotive so we say this is the primary quality and the chitta is that which can be brightened, gladdened, steadied, and released. So the Buddha is said to be someone who, who abides with citta, purified, purified citta. It's not that they don't have a one. Their, their citta is purified. Their citta is emancipated. Their citta, citta um, is gathered into the deathless. So this, then, we look at. And... Um, Let's not go too far along that line, but essentially the play really between the, the, the constructing systems is the sense organs and it's the internal organ of the mind, bouncing it around, organizing it, considering it, comparing it, contrasting it, preferring it, resisting it, and so on. And Now, this is the world, um, but of course it, the the... One of the snags with that analysis is we can easily sort of uh, come into a position where 
the external senses is the world and the internal sense the mind organ that's me watching the world dealing with the world the world's out there i'm in here i am the mind that's doing all this knowing and watching witnessing and pulling the levers and so forth and then really we we have a certain detachment but it's a detachment that can give rise to conceit indifference um, or a dissociation effect we just live in our heads another analysis of the world is called the five kanda or a mysterious term uh, meaning something like conglomerates or aggregates because each there are five kanda but each of them is a conglomerate of factors so it's a conglomerate made up of conglomerates you know bits and pieces sticking together so the five aggregate rupa which is uh sticking together of of qualities such as earthiness or solidity heatedness or vitality uh, um, airiness or the movement the experience of movement and wateriness or harmony cohesiveness that which gives shape to things so this is so you see those are four that stick together and blend to create the experience of rupa form and on visual sense that's the visual one is the easy ones to discern so i think as, as ajahn metta was saying yesterday you look at human body and you reflect on water you see, that's what gives that body its shape if you take a body and you burn it down you just got ashes that don't cohere at all they're just it could be any old shape the shapiness of a body is really contributed by the water that's what sticks it together into a cohesive form without that it just crumbles into dust but of course it was just water it wouldn't be able to hold an impression it'd just be you'd be oozing all over the floor <laughs> <laughs> absorbed in the carpet so <laughs> there's a certain amount of earth just enough to create the right soupy muddy quality that holds it into a sort of like a certain rigidity to it and of course the most rigid parts of the body we experience is the bones so earth and water the vitality the heating that's an important element that we can experience in our body you can't always see warmth you can see brightness and lightness and vitality sometimes you can discern that through the eyes the other element is mobility a living body is always moving breathing in breathing out is the most obvious sign of it but there are even subtler movements like the shifting of energy through the limbs yeah so you get that sense of something shifts and moves so there's subtle air or chi or vitality which is also the larger sense of what we mean by breathing yeah. so breathing in particularly in almost all of the uh, eastern contexts is not just air it's it's a movement of chi prana vitality air element so we see this is these four as they blend and merge in different degrees the different degrees make up the aggregate of rupa rupa form first aggregate second rupa vedana feeling three kinds of feeling uh, and based on two two fundamental bases so there's at least six kinds of feeling um yeah there's body feeling and mental feeling pleasant painful neutral and it's a, and the perceptions are so numerous it's impossible to describe them no perceptions are signs signals memories impressions meanings felt meanings that strikes me as that's the perception that strikes me as that's perception strikes me as interesting strikes me as as uh, bright strikes me as saddened strikes me the impressions we get from things seems like a cow to me sounds like a bell it's the sense of like it's like something it resonates so those kind of create categories for 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 experience and they a certain range of sounds will 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 think oh that's like a bell as it changes it might be more like a siren yeah but we have a certain 
probably group held perception of belliness and we all agree no that's not a bell that's a buzzer yeah and so a certain range of sound changes and we say it's dropped out of the bell category into the buzzer category or into the alarm clock category or the chime category and of course you can subdivide these it's not a bell it's a gong that's a wind chime so that's when your perception is just the relative take which groups together a bunch of experience into manageable packets that we uh, can relate to because actually everything is specifically self no bell is like another one but that would be very difficult to communicate wouldn't it so we have a large topic bell cow you know no cow is like another cow you can frisians jerseys and so on and so on and so on and each cow has its own individual qualities to it as well but we can use the category of cow and at a certain point we won't say that's an ox and then you could quibble over whether it's really a oxy cow or an auroch or a, when does a cow become an ox and so on uh, but <laughs> it's a cow <laughs> it moves so perceptions you know are actually uh, themselves a contextual you have to often you assemble the perception through a whole range of things if it's metal and you strike it with a hammer it makes a it's a ringing sound it's a bell (laughs) so there's a range of things it's also involved with the activities so perceptions are very um you know they're they're constructed Hmm. when does a dog become a wolf you can crossbreed them Okay, so you've got to say a, a wolf and an Alsatian, you cross breeds, that's an Alsatian. Alsatian with the wolf blood in it. Now it's an Alsatian with a lot of wolf blood in it. Now it's mostly wolf and not much Alsatian. Now it's 98% wolf. Now it's a wolf. You know, where was the dividing line? <laughs> so we just, you recognize perceptions are really a matter of opinion, actually, concoction. And yet they are the ones we act upon. There, that that one, whatever we, whatever the mind has constructed that as, or whatever has been constructed as, we respond to that. And the response, sankara, activities. Hmm. Dog, nice, pat it, wolf, terrible, run away from it. <laughs> <laughs> there's not really at a certain point. There's not much difference. <laughs> And yet we can stigmatize wolves and adore dogs. <clears throat> Sankara, activations, mental formations, karma activities, um, qualities of intentionality that jump up or impulse. So this is a very easy way to, to, to uh, handle this rather complex term. So that's one of another one of the aggregates, and those sankaras could be associated with loving kindness, uh, compassion, malice, greed, fear. You know, all kinds of range of impulses can can rise up, and out of that rising of the perception and the sankara and the feeling, we have the experience called emotion, which is really a mixture of all those. The last aggregate consciousness is uh, uh, like a a property it's the potential um, to receive impressions it's the messenger it brings impressions to to or into awareness consciousness is a property that brings uh, experiences into awareness if there's no, you're not conscious of it, it doesn't happen. Consciousness is seen as through the uh, ears, eyes, nose, tongue, body, and thinking mind. It's the property that deals with just the basic intray of experience, <coughs> receives them. Hmm. 
it carries uh, both it's it's activated that is it 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 gets activated in terms of a consciousness that's affected by fear or affected by uh, wisdom you know, so it's, it, it receives things in different ways. We can be slightly paranoid, edgy, uh, uh, you know, or you can have impaired eyesight. Or you don't you don't see brown greens. You can't differentiate the two. I'm a bit color blind myself, so you know, nothing. You know, so I don't get it. You can have hearing difficulties. You don't you don't get it. Mm. Mm. And we, you know, we can identify with that and think I'm stupid or inadequate. But it's just consciousness, you know, as it is a conditioned factor, has its limitations. It brings what it can. Out of this, this is then considered the world. This range something. So fundamentally, you have the relationship between consciousness. Uh, first of all, cognizes a form. Form could be a visual form. Could it be an auditory form? an object so it brings that in and then the things start happening a feeling occurs a perception arises an activation occurs and zoom consciousness is then bounced to another op- to into um, further becoming yeah put it another way you hear something feels good pleasant feeling arises in the mind it reminds you of uh, a song you heard. Uh, you get interested. Your consciousness then goes to, where was I in 1994? Oh, yeah. That was great, wasn't it? Reminds me of that song. Oh, there I was in Paris or some of the other, having a good time. So your consciousness has then bon- bounced into Paris in 19, wherever it was. And there you are for a few microseconds until something else happens and the consciousness has bounced to receive something else. So this is called rebirth, or further becoming. This process of consciousness being bounced along to keep picking up new messages and new signals. And it's directed by Sankara. Keeps throwing it on. Yeah. And some of this bouncing is, is ex- extremely painful because it, it, when you have these afflicted Sankaras, uh, afflicted by ignorance and trapped up in self-view, you bounce around the cage called myself <laughs> there's my worries here we go again one more spin around this one you know bomb 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 he did this they never do that why should i be like this how am i going to stop being like that you know, so the consciousness is bounced around through the sankara agitation aversion resistance worry all those energies bounce consciousness around and lo and behold another perception arises in line with that and here we are, and we give it another spin, and so on. So through this non, um, you know, non-awakening or not realization, these five aggregates act like a cage, uh, in which uh, there's the experience of being trapped inside the cage. Occasionally, like a squirrel finding something rather juicy to to carry inside that cage and nibbling into it, and having a nice period there and then something you know comes in and disturbs me and i get ratty and nasty and run around my cage again how am i going to get out of here i don't want to be in here and then somebody says have a peanut oh this is all right in here (laughs) (laughs) i like it here (laughs) don't disturb me So that's what feeling can do, can't it? You get a pleasant feeling, oh, this is really all right. And then, oh, it went wrong. I want to get out, I want liberation. I want freedom, I want release. But a banana would do. (laughs) 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 Then you settle down inside it again. But seeing the the non-fulfillment of pleasant feeling and perceptions, however agreeable, seeing they don't eventually hear you are again with the unresolved stuff, you start to think there's no point in getting buried in this again. You've got to have to really work this out. Mm-hmm.
these five aggregates and you know again just to to do a bit of mapping jitta is um seen as not really within the five aggregate system you know, it it gets confused the unawakened jitta is confused so it, it run it awareness runs around inside this and particularly seeking to be a self who can escape the the trap so that's its that's its default it's the jitta the awareness property tends to get affected who affected by ignorance experience is experienced as a self who is finding some quiet place inside this cage or a comfortable place or really wanting to get out of it uh, you know, and that's its that's its default confusion how 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 do I get to nibbana and the blunt answer is you don't uh, with the release of the cages that only occurs through the release of the self within that the jitta wakes up um, <clears throat> so jitta is really can feel very much embedded in, in the kanda five aggregates it can be released from the five aggregates now how this um you know comes around is because the five aggregates themselves are not really solid at all they're more like you know the tracks of electrons around an, around a magnet around an atom you know they're sort of really form they're all concocted they're all actually sankarad this is the bigger term of sankara or sankata they're the conditioned they're all you know constructed they're all dynamic they're all fluid and it, they become reified or solidified by the degrees of ignorance fascination resistance aversion in fact by the defective relationship experience within that so you know the nub of it is if we if there can be the perfection of relationship then these aggregates don't have to solidify then they can both be brought into being when it's suitable you know appropriate you know so we're not in some spaced out state and they can also be rested but whether in whether they're forming or not forming there isn't the sense of being them you know that's maybe just something to you know put on the shelf somewhere but the main point is that the aggregates themselves have no fixed not fixed realities and in a meditation practice for example if we are contemplating form we may notice well okay let's go to earth element as uh, as Jometa was saying or water element contemplate and you can contemplate the five aggregates within your own body so another perhaps an error is to assume that rupa means body rupa doesn't mean body it means form it can mean any form taken through an eye ear nose tongue body or mental form it means fundamentally there's an object that we can know we can relate to it experiences a certain consistency you know, it can t- keeps but as we come to that object with our awareness we begin to recognize well, it's not actually as solid as consistent as you see as it seems that experience right in this own mind body of earth is actually sort of changing Hmm. where is the real element of earth well the bones are fairly rigid Uh, so the textures of the body are more fluid but we can notice that all of that experience is actually subtly shifting and changing in its intensities in its energies in its earthiness your own body itself may feel sometimes extremely spacey and formless yeah like i can't get any earth i'm spaced out or it can seem extremely void of vitality and fire you feel like cold porridge you know no zip no zap just plonk um it can feel like we have uh we're just so sort of no flow 
left. There's no cohesion, you just feel like broken glass, bits and pieces, all dysfunctional, snapped. There's no cohesion between the arms. The head feels like it's separate from the rest of your body. It's broken up. There isn't a cohesion there. So these, just looking, contemplating these elements, really they're not consistent uh, and they're not, um, you know, they're shifting and changing all the time. Then if you look at the body externally, well, a sitting body is rather different from a standing body, or a reclining body. If I look at a body when it turns right angles, that's a different shape than when it's facing me, when it bends forward, which is the body. If you look at it very, you know, distinctly, a moment to moment, which is the real one? Which is the normal body? Are they, how high are they? Five foot, six foot, five foot eight, five foot nine, five foot eight and a half, six, which is the normal, which is, is it male, is it, is it somewhere between the two? What colour hair would it have? Eyes? Well, it only have two, don't they? One on each side of the nose, what colour are those eyes? How big are they? You realise there's no such thing, uh, there's only a very general perception of body. Here, when they do an autopsy, you can see someone comes, it looks like a person, first of all, laid on a slab, but they're not moving. Uh, you know, it's not a person, it's a body. And you see when they take bits off it, at a certain point, it's no longer a body, it's just meat. And it's quite, it's quite a shift. And probably the most significant piece was they t- when they take the face off. That's when the body... Is no longer a body, even though, well, it's still there. Yeah. The construction, this is auntie so-and-so, that's gone. <laughs> yeah. When the face goes, the person's gone. Yeah. And even when they take the pull the face off, it's extremely, probably the most wrenching moment, because where's he, where did she go? There's a body, and it's not a person, and pretty soon it's not, we wouldn't call it a body, we'd just call it, you know, meat, various kinds of meat and bone, and yet it's all there. So where where did the body go? They just rearranged parts of it, and yet we would not attribute a person to that probably wouldn't even consider it a human being anymore. So what happened? Change happened. And and, and this is what happens all the time. Are you the two-year-old, the five-year-old, the eight-year-old, the 15-year-old, the 28-year-old, the 40-year-old, the 60-year-old, the 80-year-old, or which one are you? This is kind of like Really bearing this in mind, change is, is, is the doorway, really, of liberation. And by sustaining mindfulness, so you're not mesmerized by any facet of the change into, oh, this is the real thing. This is what we really are. We really are just a bag of old meat. No, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. You could, you, that's one way you could look at it, but you could also look at it as... Uh, Uh, a lovely person, or my nephew, or Susan, or, you know, the light of my life, or, you know, or whatever you're looking at as. If you're a designer, a fashion person, a photographer, or a doctor, you'd probably see that in rather different ways. Perception. So really, even when we have such a thing as rupa, along with it comes perception, impressions and probably qualities of feeling and reactions, sankharas. So these five aggregate really mixing together and we're noticing how if you just sustain attention or don't get phased by any aspect of the change, your mind goes, uh-huh. Nothing to say really. It's good, bad, don't know. It's, it stops. It stops 
injecting fascination, aversion, identification, comparison around that experience. That's that's the practice essentially. So even though this can be quite a complex analysis, yeah, it's just it's actually looking at very simple things that uh, and being able to distinguish them. There's the thing, and there's my feeling. There's my interest in it. There's my perception of it. There's my measurement of it. The two things are different. Could that measuring quality, that could that differentiation, could that cease? What happens if that stops? Something here seems to go very quiet and open and cool and very open. Ah, is that what release is about? How does that feel? Now we can do that just even visually, a kind of visual game like that, to another being or looking at yourself in the mirror every day. Who's that? What do you make out of it? Oh dear. Tiny that. Could it could you could that stop? There's there's a meditation, isn't it? Very simple meditation. What happens? Stay there. Stay with it. One notices arising features of body. One notices passing qualities of body. You notice arising experiences of perception. You notice perceptions as they cease. You notice arisings of feeling, arisings of activities. You notice what they are. You notice them cease. As you go through that process, allow that process to occur, What's always there? What's always there? Hmm. All that. With mindfulness, establishing mindfulness so that we don't flicker from that attentiveness and that coolness, that dispassion. Being prepared to witness, you know, the nothing much, the rather disturbing the interesting, the poignant, stay, the frightening, stay, the, you know, the boring, stay with it, arising, ceasing, and then there's this sense of what's always here, you know, chitta. And more, if you're cultivating that, the, the movement of those aggregates yeah. And the point of the aggregates is it really doesn't exclude any piece, yeah, because you can't, you can't, you know, you can't start to judge your aggregates because that's an aggregate. <laughs> yeah, that's the aggregate of sankara. If you start forming judgments, opinions about your aggregates, whether you are them or aren't them, that forming of an opinion is called sankara. That's an aggregate. So you can't concoct, decide, determine, have an attitude outside the aggregates. That's all within it. You can't be somebody outside the aggregates because that's an aggregate. <laughs> you get it? What there can be is an increasing dispassion, openness, non-resistance, non-fascination with the aggregates. And through that, the relationships of aversion, fascination, blindness, reactivity begin to cease and there's openness. And jitta starts to come, you begin to see the light, if you see, rather than the colours. The difference between jitta and consciousness is, can be described as, you know, uh, consciousness is, uh, it, 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 say it can be, mm, it, they can be sometimes synonymous in the language, but if we're looking at this particular analysis, say, say 
So you have a like um, you know, a green green wall. The light bounces off the green wall. You see the color green. Hmm. And so you, the color green comes at you. Hmm. Color green is consciousness. The light striking the wall is the chitta, is awareness. So as awareness, awareness has no property other than just awareness. It's not a color. Consciousness takes is the manifestations of impressions, so reflected. And yet we could say that light is inherent in all of that. It's always the light bouncing through consciousness that gives rise to these perceptions and impressions. Consciousness is the is you know the finite. Uh, aggregate through which jitta manifests uh, and as we grow more dispassionate towards consciousness less mesmerized by it less averse to it less frightened by it that dispassion, cooling, relinquishment these kinds of phrases there's the liberation or realization of chitta. Awareness knows itself. Awareness knows itself. So this is the noticing the arising of the world, the ceasing of the world, and the path leading through that. This is another formulation. In fact, nothing is really destroyed apart from ignorance. So, yeah. Now these aggregates can be, uh, we can see them as a, a problem, and they can be very problematic, but they're also the natural uh, creations you know, for life as a, in this realm. They could give us functionality, give us language navigation, place locations, purposes, motivations, all, you know, can be purified. And the purified aggregates, the Buddha has them in it as his potential. So the Buddha continued to manifest in terms of these aggregates. And saying, you know, to say the Buddha is outside the aggregates is incorrect. To say he's within them is incorrect. <laughs> These he can manifest in these aggregates for the welfare of beings as long as the lifespan lasts, and then when it's finished, there's no more of this. There isn't the bouncing on of consciousness into another series of aggregates. They're relinquished. So that's that's the the kind of the trajectory of the practice. The the nub of it, yeah. As it said many times, you know, one grows through being fully aware of form as form and as form, doing what form does, forming, deforming, conforming, malforming, informing, forming and unforming, shapes, changes, you know, you are seeing it all. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> it's no longer, one is no longer mesmerized or taking a stand upon form or even staying to stand against form form is just what what happens and likewise with the other aggregates now why it's important to distinguish between rupa and kaya they can be rupa, can sometimes be translated as body because that's the most obvious place that rupa manifests in, but it's the sense of, of a discernible object. But actually the eye is very much often associated with rupa, a visual object, because it's nicely clear and defined. You know, there's a thing there, it's got boundaries around it. That's the e one of the easiest ways to, to distinct determine rupa. But it can be also bodily rupa, 
it could be even be auditory you know a sound strikes the ear there's an impression of that and then there's a perception of that and there's the feeling around that and there's the activations around that so the aggregates cover everything there can be mental forms so an, an, a thought sustained in the mind becomes a mind object a mental form and then you can get a percept which you know you can react and respond to that <clears throat> now th th this means it's actually a very it covers all of it and there's no body separate from it mm -hmm. so we keep aware of that tendency to take a stand taking a stand is sankara <clears throat> it's an activity and a clinging I adopt a particular set of theories or notions or positions or attitudes that's called ditti one aspect of clinging now the aggregates are said to be affected by clinging clinging is a sankara it's an activity so you see sankara is both within and also weaving and binding everything together and setting up all the reactions all the stances all the standpoints all the opinions all the counter opinions that's all sankara so that's kind of whirring away binding everything together and that really the you know you can again simplify the practice right down to handling sankara because that's the one that bounces consciousness along to the next thing if we could quieten that tame it master it it wouldn't do that or at least do it somewhere nice <laughs> you know like take me to a good place if i can't you know like it's called the kind of blissful realms you know which you do through cultivating so you cult sankara has to be handled and cultivated you can't just switch it off so the practice itself is sankara it's to do with intentions and so one of the, the most leading aspect of sankara is intentionality that impulse to do it's a mental impulse an attitudinal impulse i'm up for that i'm interested in that i'm there on that and my attention is swinging towards that that's sankara that movement yeah. so now we're deliberately recognizing that and now could that be steered, handled, nullified, healed? So we begin handling sankara and and uh, mollifying it, making it skillful. So instead of just lurching along in its old habits, because it also is karma, intentionality creates karma, it creates habitual ruts. The mind then goes down and becomes myself. Yeah, so it's also a karma formation therefore sankara is to be handled with great attentiveness and responsibility what could be managed since there's a huge inheritance in sankara the ball is already rolling we're not starting on a level ground neutral we're starting already impelled rolling along yeah how much how long does it take to turn an oil tank around hmm? how long does it take to turn a shift to sankara <laughs> yeah best switch the clock off you know because that's another sankara <laughs> gets in the way you just do it a moment at a time a moment at a time a moment at a time don't worry about the time you know because that's more sankara that's going to create how long and that's sankara not a very helpful one you just apply yourself to could this be steadied could this be listened to could this be gentled out could this be firmly restrained could this be shifted to a more skillful attitude response relationship you know with experience right there you see in anapanasati sutta you've got some strong um touch points there so it's saying um, calming the chitta sankara the kaya sankara smoothing it out kaya sankara 
So this is sankhara in the body, and it's associated with breathing in and out. It's the activity, the activations that get us breathing. Yeah. So when we're doing that, cultivating that, we're actually working on sankhara. It wants to rush off into the mind. Let's go back to breathing. Yeah. And getting it so your breathing channel breathing experience becomes more fluent, softer, soothing it, giving attention to it, give up time, give up identity, you know, open your body and so on, so that, that the body is breathing and that one discerns the entire body. So you're feeling all of the bodily experience, the energies, the pressures, the channels, the openness, the fluidity, the vitalities, as you breathe in and out, you're, you're sensing that. And the quality of breathing in and out, the kaya sankara, begins to be steadied and moves through the body, giving rise to a certain unification, calming and subtle pleasantness, piti and sukha. These are the phrases. And then the jitta sankara is the what we often take the mind to be mano vijnana mind consciousness is all the forms within the mind that is thoughts impressions attitudes reactions all the living moving stuff that we so often take our mind to be but it's actually not jitta it's jitta sankara okay, so this means that can be breathed into because the body sankara and the mind sankara run together. And you can breathe into your mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, as you're experiencing a powerful thought or a powerful feeling or a powerful emotion, you hold that, you widen how is the breathing now within this experience of fear or of worry, not changing it, just widening the lens, how is the breathing within this experience? Okay, and now how is the breathing right at the base of my belly? And how is the breathing as it sweeps up into the diaphragm? So by placing the two together and just without losing the mental pattern, just inclining much more to the fundamental bodily pattern, the body pattern begins to pull the mental pattern out of shape. Because the mental pattern, say, of agitation is going to be, you're going to be up, probably up in the top of your chest, in your face, and there's going to be a certain tightness in your body. You come back to the more full, appropriate, calmed body within that and the two energies meet and the body begins to gently pull, uh, release the sankara in the mind. So the, then, the, you know, you can't really be angry and upset if your body feels relaxed and open. It just you can't get it going. You have the body has to tighten up and contract to do that. Of course, the um, topic is that a lot of the time, you know, because the body firms up the mental patterns. You know, so we get a something annoys us in the morning. The topic of the annoyance was like a five-minute conversation that's finished. And yet the effect of it is still there. We're still feeling, you know, a bit up, a bit, you know, brisk, a bit sort of tetchy, and, you know, in my body. And everybody else gives me flack. I'm going to tell them what's for. And, you know, so the, <laughs> the body pattern sustains that emotional pattern, even when the topic has gone away. Body firms it up. So we can remain in that contracted defensive state all day long. Yeah. And you go 
come back, you see your partner, your friend or whatever, and then you're grumpy at him or her. <laughs> because it hasn't been released. Or you're grumpy at yourself. So, so these these the body holds it. Now, contra, con, you know, it works both ways because if your mental pattern, you know, is strongly encouraged towards patience, towards barami, patience and kindness and generosity and you know, just grounding yourself and you're calm, experiencing a lot of real loving, patient forgiveness and holding towards yourself, then that's going to firm up as well. And that becomes more your ground state. So then even when disappointing experiences happen, you get a little bit of an effect and you know, it doesn't matter. Because your ground state, your ground pattern is much more confident, assured, comfortable. Stuff doesn't rock you so much. So it's in the body, not in the bones, not in the eyeballs, not at a particular point in the body, but the embodiment of the kaya sankaras, it becomes more healed, that you get a, a firming up of the resources for freedom, for confidence, for the elimination of stress and agitation and self-criticism and all these things that are can be extremely seem extremely psychological and also about things that happened five years ago and so on. Here and now there can be the firming up that releases you from that. Now this is certainly something to, you know, give full attention to because really there isn't another way to do it. You know, if you do it some other way, you'll come back to this anyway. If you work it out psychologically, you'll feel a sense of, oh, yeah, I feel better now, it'll it'll land in your body. If it hasn't landed in your body, it hasn't happened yet. It's just a nice idea. So it's really in in the body and in the embodiment that any understanding, any, any degree of shift or change is really grounded and held and sustained and becomes a foundation for your freedom. Otherwise it's just an inspiring moment or a good idea or a nice person, but it doesn't hasn't really been integrated. So and just over time here, recognizing that, uh, you know, apart from, maybe these aggregates are everything, so it's the retreat center, the mist on the windows, the light, the rain, the nice food, the people looking after you, the cooks, uh, so on, the Buddha shrine, me, Ajahn Metta, everybody, you know, all of that now is is part of the resource field. So all of it's something you can open to. Yeah. And is any of it carrying ill will, pressure, fear, judgment, demand? Maybe getting up in the morning does. A tinge of it. <laughs> but you know, you can work with that. So just really, you know, take in the wide qualities of, of the whole field of retreat so it's not just you're on your own in the you know somewhere in the back of your head <coughs> or in the deep depths of your heart when you contemplate the aggregates there's nowhere you can look that they're not there <laughs> there's nowhere you can nothing you can touch that isn't them so it's in this world that we find the release from the world and truly our meditation becomes very open and and uh, full and we can see where the resources are. Is it in walking? Is it in fresh air? 
it's in the perceptions and energies and activations as you begin to shift from you know distressing patterns to patterns that give you groundedness contentment bit of relief and that's the way it goes that's the way it builds up from such small things to liberation once you've got the ball rolling if you sustain it it's that's where it's going to go so you know, encouragement for this morning <laughs>